Acts chapter 16, as today we're going to see uh, in verses 11 through 15, Lydia and her household get saved, and just how the Lord uses uh, Paul and the guys, and then in the remainder of the chapter, verses 16 through 40, how this rough and gruff Philippian jailer and his household are saved. And so, you know, you go through life, and man, sometimes things are hard, uh, Paul and the, uh, the guys, they're in their missionary journey. It's their second one. And they hit some bumps in the road. I mean, first thing is they go to Philippi and there's not enough Jews there to even have a synagogue. And so you might be thinking, man, there's nothing going to happen. But God ends up doing a great work through a sister named Lydia. And then after that, though, they get arrested, thrown in prison. They get in the dungeon and, you know, you, again, you're thinking, well, this is defeat, you know, this is the end of the road, man. Um, but God ends up using that in prison. They praise, and uh, this jailer, this rough, gruff, tough jailer gets saved, and God ends up doing a work in Philippi that in many ways is better than a lot of the other churches that, that we look at. Paul had problems in Corinth. He had problems with the Galatians, you know. He had different issues going on with the churches. But the church in Philippi was a beautiful church that blessed him, the man who blessed the world in so many ways. And so, you know, just in case you're here and you're going through hard times and, you know, you go through the disappointments of life, understand the disappointments are his appointments and God is still working, okay? And so notice where we read here in Acts 16, uh, beginning in verse 11. It says, And therefore, sailing from Troas, we ran a straight course to Samothrace, and the next day came to Neapolis. And from there to Philippi, which is the foremost city of that part of Macedonia, a colony, and we were staying in that city for some days. Now, we kind of pick it up in the middle of the story. You guys remember uh, Paul the Apostle tried to go north. The Lord said no. He tried to go south. The Lord said no. And so they just kept going. You know, and again, you might be discouraged. You might get discouraged because doors are closing and you're thinking, Lord, what are you doing? But you know what? Just keep following the Lord. And as they followed the Lord, remember the story? They got a vision, a man from Macedonia. He said, come over and help us. And they concluded, this is what God wants us to do. And so they sail from Troas, and it says right there again, look at verse 11, they ran a straight course. And so that's a nautical term that means that they had the wind blowing, and man, they were able to go straight to that island, and they go straight to that harbor city, Neapolis, and then they go up about nine miles or so to Philippi, which we see here is uh, identified as a, as a really uh, foremost city there in the colony. As a matter of fact, you guys might have a map in the back of your Bibles. Uh, we have a map, you know, regarding Philippi, uh, a chief city of the district of Macedonia, located there in northern Greece, uh, situated in a strategic place where there's this highway known as the Ignatian Way. Uh, there, a big road, a big city, harbor highway. And so you would think that there would be a lot of Jews there, but what we're going to see is that this city is a really, really Roman city. And so there's not even enough Jews there to have a synagogue. And so we read in verse 13, you know, Paul might be thinking, well, then why am I here, Lord? But watch what happens, you guys, in verse 13. And on the Sabbath day, we went out of the city to the riverside where prayer was customarily made 
And we sat down and spoke to the women who met there. Now a certain woman named Lydia heard us. She was a seller of purple from the city of Thyatira who worshipped God. The Lord opened her heart to heed the things spoken by Paul. And when she and her household were baptized, she begged us, saying, If you had judged me to be faithful to the Lord, come to my house and stay. And so she persuaded us. And so what's the Lord saying here? You know, when we study Paul, typically whenever he would go into a city, he would find the local Jewish synagogue and there he would begin evangelizing them with the gospel of Jesus Christ. But apparently here in Philippi, there weren't enough Jewish men. They needed 10 to have a synagogue. And so, you know, you're wondering, well, man, there's not even a synagogue here. What am I going to do, Lord? Somehow he hears that there are some girls, there are some ladies that gather together by the riverside. Customarily, just ladies, they go by the river to pray every Sabbath day. And so this lady, she worshipped God. And so she was obviously a Jewish believer. They go to the riverside. They sit down. They share the love of Jesus Christ. And Lydia gets saved. You know, it's interesting how Paul would even share with her because back then in those days, there was a popular rabbinical teaching that said it is better that the words of the law be burned than to be delivered to a woman. And that was the Jewish mentality. That was the Roman mentality. That was the Grecian mentality. But that, that, was, not, that was not the Christian mentality. I'll tell you one thing the Lord teaches us about this church, this amazing church in Philippi that blessed Paul, who would bless the world. It started with a little lady, single lady named Lydia, upon whom God opened her heart and upon whom God changed the world. And I tell you what, there's a lot to learn from this, but there is one lesson here that I learn immediately, and that is that you ladies need to know that God can use your life just as much, if not more, than any man on planet Earth. You know, sometimes, we you know, the, the ladies think, well, no, we can't be used as much as a guy. We can't hold the position of a pastor-teacher. But you know what, man? Every pastor-teacher is held up by ladies who pray for him. And when I look at Lydia and I think of the way that she supported Paul, more than likely she was a wealthy woman. She, uh, she sold purple. In those days you needed, man, thousands of these uh, sea creatures in order to develop just a, a gram and a half of purple dye. And then the purple that she produced was from Thyatira is the best in the whole world. You know, what I find is that she, uh, no doubt about it, was used to not only pray for Paul, but to support Paul financially. You know, when Paul was in Corinth, it's interesting, he didn't get any money from the Corinthians because that was not, they didn't, they didn't have that type of heart to give. The Corinthian church, he could not ask them for money. They didn't have the, the heart to donate to his ministry. But the Philippians did four times. Four times they gave the financial means in order that Paul might go and preach the gospel to the ends of the earth. And so what we're learning, you guys, and it's amazing to me, is like in many ways from a human perspective, he couldn't have done what he did if she didn't do what she did. And I just pray that everyone here, whether you know, man or woman, you know, Paul would later say in Galatians 3.28 that there's no spiritual advantage or disadvantage whether you're male or female, rich or poor, Greek or Jew, doesn't even matter. God can use any life 
that is sold out to him. And it's amazing how God does one life at a time. I remember a long time ago when I was assistant pastor at one of the churches, uh, I remember, you know, my pastor said, hey, yeah, you know, you want to go ahead and do an outreach? That's fine, you know. Um, we're, you know, getting money to, you know, print these flyers. We're trying to get the word out. People are hitting the streets. You know, we're doing everything we can, you know, to try to get a whole bunch of people saved. But that Friday, only one, one girl got saved. Only one. And, you know, and you're, and you're thinking, wow, Lord, was this a, a success or, or was it a failure, you know? But, but what ends up happening now, you fast forward, man, you know, decades later, and it was so cool, this gal that got saved, the one, the one that got saved all those years ago came and she gave me a little gift from Cuba. You want to know why? Because she has traveled the world as a missionary. The one, the one lady who ended up falling in love with the Lord. You know, that one man, that might be you. Who knows what God can do through our life? You know, a lot of times we give, you know, the guys the credit, but in all reality, it's the, it's the gals. I think of my wife. I think of Pastor Chuck Smith. And you guys know his story. He's given a lot of credit how God used his ministry with the hippies, right? But you guys remember Pastor Chuck Smith's mentality with the hippies. You know what he said? He said, hippies, they need to cut their hair and get a job. But it was his wife. It was his wife, Kay, who would take him to the beach. They would sit down and they would just watch these people who were so lost. And she was the one who said, I would love to meet one one day. She was the one who had a heart for them. It was her. It was her. And we see that throughout history. I think of this sister, Shannon, who came and shared today. I think of Paula, who shared last week. I think of other sisters in Christ who I know God has used their life in such a tremendous way. And I pray that we would be encouraged by that because that's exactly what we see here. You know, as they're there and then they're sharing, we read there in verse 14 that the Lord opened her heart. You know, and that's all it takes, man, is an open heart. If you're not right with God, if you're living in sin, if you're going in the wrong direction, Understand it's simply because you need to open your heart and let God do that work. And when he did, she got saved. And not only her, but her whole household ended up getting baptized. And she begged him to say, hey, if you've judged me to be faithful and true, then you come and you stay at my house. And that's exactly what Paul did. And so, again, you think, well, going to Philippi, not even 10 men there, not even a Jewish synagogue, not really a big work that God's going to do. One lady gets saved. Is it a failure? Absolutely not. Every single life that's sold out and surrendered to the Lordship of Jesus Christ can be like Lydia. But it's not over. Not only does this, you know, lady, this rich lady get saved, but this rugged Roman soldier gets saved. It's not as easy, though, this time. You know, this time, watch what happens as we read in verse 16. Now it happened as we went to prayer that a certain slave girl possessed with a spirit of divination, she met us who brought her masters much profit by fortune-telling. <clears throat> 
This girl followed Paul and us and cried out saying, These men are the servants of the Most High God who proclaim to us the way of salvation. And this she did for many days. But Paul, greatly annoyed, turned and said to the Spirit, I command you in the name of Jesus Christ to come out of her. And he came out that very hour. You know, it's interesting. It's noteworthy to mention the fact that both of these incidents began in prayer. They were, there was prayer involved. You know, we read it here in verse 16. Now it happened as we went to prayer and we read in verse 13 earlier, it says where prayer was customarily made. You know, I don't know if you guys knew this or not, but during our services, we have people praying throughout the services. I was so cool. I was talking to one of the brothers who was involved in that ministry and I was telling him just the joy about, you know, this one young man who accepted Christ after first service, a 14-year-old guy prayed to receive Jesus, gave his life to the Lord. And, you know, and we both of us, we had the same inclination. It's because people are praying. I tell you what, when you start praying, things start happening. And that's exactly what's going on throughout the life and ministry of Paul, right? We know he was a man of prayer. But as he's now going throughout Philippi, probably looking for open doors somehow, somewhere, street witnessing to preach the gospel, there's this young slave girl who, it says right here, is possessed with the spirit of divination. And and she brought her master's much profit by by fortune-telling. She's following Paul, and, and she's saying something rather interesting again, you know, she's giving them advertising. These men are the servants of the Most High God who proclaim to us the way of salvation. You know, and so you might read that, you might wonder, why did Paul have a problem with that? You know, free advertising, right? But as the day wore on, he realized, you know, something's not right. This girl is, is possessed. And so not only did he want to distance himself from advertising from the dark side, Of course, we know his heart went out to the slave girl. He discovered that she had a demon inside of her. And so he did what every single one of us should do in a situation like that. He cast out the demon. He said, in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, I command you to leave her. And that very hour, the demon left. You know, you see these places, and I know you guys drive by them, and they're popping up everywhere. You know, the fortune telling, you know, they're, they're reading your palms, or the spirits, or all that kind of stuff. All that's demonic. We got to know that, man. Make sure you stay away from that, you know, in, in your life. But, you know, when the Lord brings these people who, in your life, and some of them are oppressed, and, and some of them are possessed, God wants us to have the power and the anointing and the faith to be able to cast out those demons. You know, there was a time when Jesus was up in the mountain. He comes down and his apostles were having a struggle because they couldn't cast out the demon from this, 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 this boy. And so, you know, Jesus comes down and he kind of rebukes them. He says, faithless and perverse generation, how long shall I be with you? How long shall I be, you know, put up with you? And what he does is he casts out the demon. And then later on, his apostles, they talk to him and they say, Lord, I don't get it. Why weren't we able to do that? And you guys remember what the Lord said? He said in Mark 9, 28 through 29, 
He said, this kind can come out by nothing but prayer and fasting. And that's one of the reasons that we're fasting right now as a church. We were going to be fasting all the way through September 1st. If the Lord leads you, I encourage you, you know, to, not, to, to fast with us. Don't do it to lose weight, okay? If you do it to lose weight, it's not going to count. I'm telling you right now, man. We do this to draw near to God. We do this to heighten our spiritual senses. We do this because we need Him, because marriages are falling apart, and they shouldn't. Because people are falling away from God, they're going to die and go to hell. And so, Lord, I have no power. I have no wisdom. I have no words. I have no good, I can't throw money at it. There's nothing I can do. God, we need you to come in and set this girl free. Set that man free. And we're supposed to have that anointing. You know, the Bible says, Jesus said, all authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. And I'm with you. The one who has all authority is with us. In Mark chapter 16 and verse 17, Jesus said, And these signs will follow those who believe in my name. They will cast out demons. And we've seen it here in the church. There are some even here that have experienced things like that. We've seen it in Cambodia. I think we need to see it more though. And this is why tonight at 5 we're gathering together. We're going to talk more about prayer and fasting and dealing with demons. Because you might not realize it or not, because I know a lot of times this pendulum swings to the other side and we don't even realize that we're in a war. We're wrestling against principalities and powers. I mean, I'm not saying there's a demon behind every corner and in every nook and cranny, but they are there. And they get strongholds in people's life. Paul knew that. That's, what, that's why God used him. That's why when you read the first missionary journey, it was Barnabas and Paul, Barnabas and Paul. And then finally one day, Paul, he just steps up and he rebukes the devil. And then from that point forward, God said, okay, I want you to lead the group now. And then it became Paul and Barnabas. And God began to do a work in his life because he understood the reality of the spiritual war that they were in. And so here, you know, Paul, he, he deals with the demon... And as a result of that, you would figure that God would reward him, right? But watch what happens next in Acts chapter 16, in verse 19, it says, But when her masters saw that their hope of profit was gone, they seized Paul and Silas and dragged them into the marketplace to the authorities. And they brought them to the magistrates and said, These men, being Jews, exceedingly trouble our city. And they teach customs which are not lawful for us, being Romans, to receive or observe. And then the multitude rose up together against them, and the magistrates tore off their clothes and commanded them to be beaten with rods. And when they had laid many stripes on them, they threw them into prison, commanding the jailer to keep them secretly. Having received such a charge, he put them into the inner prison and fastened their feet in the stock. Here we see, after casting out the demon, that they were seized. It started with the slave girl's owners, you know. I mean, they didn't care that she'd been set free. They were pimps, kind of thinking only of their pocket. And so they seized Paul and Silas, dragged them to the authorities, didn't mention the fact that, that you know, they had helped the girl. All they talked was trouble, that they were Jews who should be in jail, that they don't believe in the plurality of our Roman gods. And without a trial, 
They strip them and whip them and throw them into prison and not just any jail cell. They're put with a jailer who has a dungeon and they charge this jailer to put them into the inner prison. We read there in verse 29, again, notice, it says that they fastened their feet in the stocks. And so, I mean, these leg stocks contained multiple holes in which they could force the legs apart. And a lot of times when guys were in these places, their hips would be dislocated. So imagine if you would, here you are, you're preaching the gospel, you know, you're casting out demons. It doesn't seem to make a lot of sense that God would then allow you to be arrested, beaten without a cause, bareback, bloody, you know, suffering in the soil, in the dungeon, with your feet in the stock. And a lot of times life goes that way. We don't understand why we're where we are. When in all reality, so many people, all they've been trying to do is the right thing. Right? And here they are. I tell you what, and I know it's a hard place, but I want to encourage you to understand that this was all ordained by God. He didn't author it, but he allowed it. Because he has a great purpose. You know, what would you do if you're in a situation like that? You know, I don't know. You know, I think a lot of people would probably, you know, complain, right? You know, God, this doesn't make any sense. We answer your call to Philippi. All we've done is preach the the gospel, cast out demons, and this is how I'm rewarded, I'm bloody, I'm broken, I'm... I've been beaten, I'm struck, and I'm stuck in this dungeon. You know, and then a lot of times that's, you listen to a person and that's all that comes out. They complain. And then, you know, maybe you're you're strong enough not to complain. Maybe you you grit and you you bear it and you, you know, you put up with it. But, But what does God really want us to do when we suffer? I think what we see right here and what we see in the Bible is what God wants us to do is to sing, to worship, to praise Him. I, there's no doubt in my mind. I'm thinking that they knew what Jesus said in, in the Sermon on the Mount. He said, rejoice. Rejoice when you suffer for righteousness' sake, for great is your reward in heaven. You know, James' letter had already been written. It was one of the first letters written to Christians. It said, count it all joy when you fall into various trials, knowing that the testing of your faith, it produces endurance. And so there they are. Look what we read in verse 25. But at midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God. You know, they had the book of Job. The book of Job in chapter 35 and verse 10, it says that God gives us songs in the night. The question is, will we sing them? You know, and this is really the, the crossroads of life. This is your test of life, whether you'll go forward or whether you'll fall. This is the crucible of your whole entire Christian life right here, right in front of you. You've got a decision to make. Will you sing like they did. You know, John Corson, he said, Christians are like tea bags. 
we'll never know what our flavor is until we're in hot water. <laughs> you know, I think about, you know, the other day my wife got another box of C's candies and, you know, they're in the fridge and I tell you what, there's something wrong with my brain because for some reason I can never figure out what kind of candy they are by looking at them. And so what I have to do is I have to bite it. And if I don't like it, I put it back. But, you know, eventually <laughs> you find one that you like. It's kind of like that. It's like Christians, you know, we don't really find out what they really are made of until they get bit, until they get hit. Then you'll find out who they really are. Do you believe in the Bible? Do you believe God and His Word? They did. That's why they were able to sing at midnight after being beaten, bloody, there, suffering in the soil and the stock. And what it is is a lesson to us because I tell you what, I mean, we have praised the Lord all our life. We have praised the Lord because He has saved us. We have praised the Lord because, man, I have a job and I have a house and my kids are healthy and everything's going good and I praise God and I praise God. But I tell you what, pure praise, pure and powerful praise comes when it looks like the whole world's falling apart. And you don't know if you're going to live or die. But you praise Him because you know who He is. And it's good for you. And it's good for others who are watching you. you now we read here in verse 25, but at midnight Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God and the prisoners were listening to them. You know, I remember watching the video Venture of Faith uh, and it was talking about the Harvest Crusades and just, you know, the way that the Lord uses uh, songs and worship. And, and Greg Laurie was talking about how when you go into a Harvest Crusade and people are worshiping the Lord, he said, there ain't nothing like it. And it's true. As these guys are there, can you imagine the anointing upon their lips and upon their hearts and upon the airwaves that went to those who were listening to them praise the Lord in such a crazy situation? And as a result of this, we know, look what happens in verse 26. And suddenly there was a great earthquake so that the foundations of the prison were shaken and immediately all the doors were opened and everyone's chains were loosed. I mean, that's what happens when there is pure praise. I tell you what, I've talked to people and they come into the church and I've talked to them afterwards, man, and they told me that just the worship, just listening to the worship, they began to break down and cry and God began to soften their hearts. You know, the earthquake began. Chains are set, are broken. People are set free. There's something here beyond the physical. There is a spiritual message here. And as these guys are in this prison, doors are open, chains are broken. You know, what ends up happening is you're, you're wondering, why is all this happening? Is that so that everybody can split you know, and, and, and just, you know, do their own thing. And God just, it's amazing how God will just go looking for the one. How he'll leave the 99 and he'll go looking for the one. 
I want this lady right here, this lovely lady named Lydia, because, man, I am going to use her life. And I want this Philippian jailer over here, this rugged Roman soldier who probably doesn't even have, you know, a sliver of a conscience, but I'm going to get a hold of his heart. Because as, as all those doors are open and all those chains fall, he's thinking in his mind that they all left And the way that Roman would rule is that if you allowed a prisoner to escape under your guard, then you would have to suffer the same sentence that they were facing. You know, we see that even take place earlier in the book of Acts chapter 12 where the soldiers were killed as a result of someone being set free accidentally. And so what ends up happening? The soldier finds out and what does he do? He's going to take his life. You know, we read that there in verse 27 and the keeper of the prison Awaking from sleep and seeing the prison doors open, supposing the prisoners had fled, he drew his sword and he was about to kill himself. And if he would have killed himself, he would have gone to hell. Right there, right then, and truth is, he would have deserved it. But watch what happens. You know, we read here in verse 28, but Paul called with a loud voice saying, do yourself no harm, for we are all here. And then he's called for a light. He ran in, fell down, trembling before Paul and Silas. And he brought them out. And he said, sirs, what must I do to be saved? You know, nowadays it's an epidemic how many people take their life in suicide. I think every year there's about 45,000 people who take their lives in suicide. For the men, it's the seventh leading cause. For the women, I think it's 14th on the list. Between 15 and 24, it's the second leading cause of death. And between 14 and 10, it's the third leading cause of death. That's how many people are taking their life because of suicide, because the thief does not come, it says in John 10, 10, except to steal and to kill and destroy. And he robs them of their hope and the future that they have in Christ, that there is a God who loves them. And what we find nowadays is, is as he's there and these Christians are gathered around him and they're, and they're praising God and when they had the opportunity to leave, they did not leave. They were sensitive to the Holy Spirit. How God would then use them to bring this rugged Roman soldier to salvation because he asked, you know, he said, you know, and it's just amazing to me when the witness is so overwhelming. I want what you have. There's a void inside of me that, that doesn't, it doesn't satisfy. You're a real Christian. You're a real God person. You have real love. You have life. I don't have it. I want what you have. That's what happens when you shine with the love of Christ. Sirs, what must I do to be saved? And it's just so cool. The answer is so simple in verse 31. Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and you will be saved, 
you and your household. This is the scripture we have on our church van because in one sense it's just so simple and, and powerful. And I thought to myself when we were get, doing the decal for the van, we are choosing a scripture, I said, what verse can I put on the van that will make people crash because they're reading it while they're driving, you know? <laughs> and it's just, you know, this is the one. Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ. What do you need to, to do to be forgiven and free and go to heaven and find righteousness and to find love and make peace with God. Not a, not a perfect life because we live in a fallen world, but this, the life that satisfies, you know, what do you need to do, you know? And what we find is it's not, you don't need to get circumcised, baptized, canonized, hypnotized. It's got nothing to do with any ceremony or rituals, rules and regulations or any type of religion. You know, you can't earn it over time by being a good person because your good works will never be good enough to get you into heaven on your own. You can't tip the scale with lots and lots of donations. What must I do to be saved? The answer is so simple. Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ. The Lord Jesus Christ, the Lord, He now rules over my life because He loves me. The, the Christ, the anointed prophet, priest, and king, the one who was nailed to a cross, paid the price. All our sins were there on Him. He was the sacrifice of the Old Testament, the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. He was the one that all those sacrifices pointed to. He was the one that you know, Abraham, when he was called in Genesis 22 to sacrifice his son Isaac, that's what that all pointed to. He's the substance of the shadow of hundreds of prophecies in the Old Testament. And the moment you place your faith in Christ, you're saved. And that's what this man did that day. He wasn't the, the, the one that was free they were. He was the one in bondage. He was the one that was locked up. And Jesus Christ set him free. And that's what God wants to do with you today. You know, I was talking to this young man and I said, you know, I, I know that, you know, this is probably not going to happen. And I don't want to freak you out or anything, man, but... Here's the thing, you know, I know you're 14 years old and you're, you know, you, you're healthy as a horse, but the truth is, you know, you might get in your car and someone might, might run a red light and you might die. None of us knows when, you know. And so let me just ask you a question. If you were to die today, do you know for sure you'd go to heaven? And he said, I don't know. And I said, well, you can know. These things are written that you may know. You don't have to gamble with your eternity. And right there and then, that young man prayed to receive Christ because he wanted to know that if he died, that when he died, that he'd go to heaven. He wanted to have the life that God offers now and forever. It's not complicated. It's not sophisticated. It's so simple that a child can be saved. But unfortunately, you know, for the Jews, it, it was a stumbling block. For the Romans, they were offended. The Greeks, because to some it's not intellectual enough. For others, it's not religious enough. 
But Jesus Christ is a way to be saved. And so it says there in verse 32, Then they spoke the word of the Lord to him and to all who were in his house. And he took them the same hour of the night and washed their stripes. And immediately he and all his family, notice right here, his family, they, they benefited from this. And, and they were baptized. You know, I was thinking about what's going on now in the borders, you know, where, where thousands of children are separated from their parents. You know, and it doesn't matter what your political view is, you're red, you're blue, you're purple. It doesn't matter if you're blaming the president or there you are, you're blaming the parents. All of us agree on this, that children should not be separated from their mom and dad. Somehow, some way, we got to get them back together. And the same that's true physically is true spiritually. That we got to fight for households. Lydia and her household got saved. The Philippian jailer and her household got saved. Like Kenny was sharing earlier, don't wait until the, you're on the, the verge of divorce. We got to come to the Lord and we got to stay together because family is the fabric of society. And this guy, they showed evidence of salvation. You know, they, they got saved. And then what ends up happening is they're washing their wounds, right? And it says there in verse 34, Now when he had brought them into his house, he made homemade tortillas right there. It says he set food before them. I mean, this is love, man. And he rejoiced. That's what happens when you, when you come to the Lord, man. I'm telling you, nothing bad. Joy, peace, love, life. I mean, he rejoiced. I mean, this is the happiest day of his life. Having believed in God with all his household. And so in verse 35, And when it was day, the magistrate sent the officers saying, Let them, these men go. And so the keeper of the prison reported those words to Paul saying, The magistrates have sent to let you go. Now they're depart and, and go in peace. But Paul said to them, They have beaten us openly, uncondemned Romans, and have thrown us into prison. And now do they put us out secretly? No, indeed. Let them come themselves and get us out. And the officers told these words to the magistrates and they were afraid when they heard that they were Romans because what ended up happening is Paul could have pressed charges. The Romans had rights. These guys could have been in trouble big time, right? And so they came and pleaded with them and brought them out and asked them to depart from the city. And so they went out of the prison and entered the house of Lydia. And when they had seen the brethren, they, I love this, encouraged them. And then they departed. You see, what ends up happening as Paul is there in Philippi, you know, he's dealing with demons, he's praising in prison, he's giving the gospel, and he's protecting the people. You know, because he knows, I need to get some leverage here before I leave this city of Philippi. Uh, They're probably going to come after the church, and I need to protect the flock. And so this is what he does. He uses this as leverage before he leaves. And he wants to make sure that his flock is protected. He takes care of them, He goes and encourages the people and then he leaves after having planted probably one of the most beautiful flocks in the entire New Testament, the church at Philippi. And one of my favorite passages in the whole Bible is Philippians chapter 1 verse 3 where Paul said, 
I, I'm so grateful. He says in Philippians 1.3, I thank my God upon every remembrance of you. It's like every memory I have of you, Philippians, is beautiful. It's a great church. Amazing people. How did it start? It started, you know, through things that didn't seem to make sense, through not even having 10 Jews or a local synagogue, through, through being put in prison. It started with a single lady named Lydia or a rugged Roman soldier. It really was these guys that even though they were in the dungeon, they were in the pits, they praised God and there was power. And I want to encourage you today, no matter what happens in life, because, man, things get so hard, to take heart and to know that this is how it works. God will use every single life. And as you're there and going through the hard times, I want to encourage you to sing just like they did. You know, one more story from John Corson I was reading about how, how he said a number of years ago, uh, he said one of his oldest sons uh, came home from kindergarten. His hair was all messed up. His shirt was torn. And his cheeks were stained with tears. And so the dad, John Corson, he asked him, what happened, Peter? John, what happened? And so with a quivering chin, he said, the biggest kid in my class just beat me up. And so he gave him a big hug and they talked for a while. The next morning, Peter John, the boy, was up bright and early getting ready for school. And as he walked out the door, Corson said, I couldn't help but notice the baseball bat he carried over his shoulder. (laughs) And so he said, where are you going with that, son? And with eyes of steel, he said to his dad, Daddy, today is show and tell. I'm going to take my bat and I'm going to show and tell. And so John Corson, knowing exactly to whom and on whom he wanted to show and tell, he said, I insist that you choose to do something different. Choose to praise. And rather than getting that bat and start swinging, I want you to take heart and start singing. And all of us have a choice to make. You can go your own way. You can take your life if you want to. But I tell you what, if you choose Christ, He will come in. He will save. And He will use you. Because we're living in the last of the last days and we're in the game when it's on the line. And my prayer is that we would be all in and just all obedient to God. I pray we would do the same for the salvation of our family and households and all those people out there who need Jesus. And maybe you're in here today and that's you. I pray you would know Jesus is here to save you.